You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. So the study I did the other day, I got the idea, oh, why don't we look at gold divided by commodities? And uh, you can get it daily. Uh, so we use the CRB. And on three different measures, the gold b- divided by commodities index is extremely oversold. So we've got it on our downside capitulation. And we've got it on just the weekly RSI being very oversold. And then we have another tool here that's uh, based on pattern. And it is on the gold divided by commodities and it's giving a sequential buy. Welcome back into Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. I'm chatting today with Bob Hoy of chartsandmarkets.com. I've known Bob for, I think, over two years when we had a nice lunch meal together at the VRIC back in 2020, I think. And I really appreciate Bob's insights. He takes a financial historian approach to the markets. He's also a geologist and he knows a lot about junior mining stocks. So that fits well with my show. Bob, welcome back onto the show. And I'd like to get your thoughts on the current environment, not only the macroeconomic environment, but specifically gold and gold stocks. Uh, Many people that have come on this show and elsewhere have predicted a 1970s style inflation expectation with commodities and gold and silver rising. But you're a little different. You don't necessarily expect that. You expect inflation to be in the stock and bond markets. And after that bust and we see a deflation, then we get our gold bull market. So number one, am I correct in how I'm summarizing your view? And number two, what is your view on gold right now? Yeah, Bill, you've done your homework. It's terrific. Yeah, the history that I did on financial markets was done a long time ago. And it's the, the, the big events are a huge boom in commodities, global, usually associated with a war like 1920. And then about a decade later, you get the other really big event, which is a huge financial bubble. So uh, the South Sea bubble in 1720 was the first, and uh, 1929 was number five, and the the belated one now uh, was is number six. Uh, I'm going to add, Bill, that each of these great financial bubbles have had similar characteristics. One of which is, uh, or oh, we got copper back to 1825 to that bubble, but and it's best to work with deflated prices in the senior currency, which used to be sterling with London as the financial center. So, anyways. Copper's real price goes up in the final phase of a great financial bubble. I mean, really climactic stuff. And then, ironically, gold's real price goes down. So then, when you're in a financial bubble, the the best you can get out of gold stocks is they're going to underperform the S&P. And they may even go down. Now, the last really big high on gold's real price was also, uh, it was in 2011 when that whole fabulous, what was about a nine-year bull market climaxed and our technical work was off the wall. I mean, it it was, hey, you know, this is record stuff, get the hell out kind of thing. And then you could say we've been bearish since then, 
because the attitude was always that if 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 it goes into a great financial bubble, stocks and bonds, uh, the golds are going to underperform. And then <laughs> when the, the the financial mania blows out and fails, gold stocks go down with the market, which brings us to right now. And the GDXJ uh, down, but not oversold. Uh, seniors like Franco Nevada, hey, hanging up there, but... Uh, but what has happened and uh, is in the smaller cap expiration sector, it suddenly had a massive liquidity crisis. Um, we didn't quite get, get that. It was more along the lines that the next buying opportunity for the gold sector would occur if the stock market crashed going into the fall. That's a classic time. But when it happened, it happened, and that, that was just all there was to it. Uh, An unbelievable revulsion in the markets, and uh, it reminds me back in the early seventies uh, when, uh, when you know, all of a sudden things just crashed down. So now, on our technical work uh, in using gold's real price for those new to the subject, I'll uh, elaborate. Is that when gold's real price goes up? It reflects improving profit margins for gold miners because costs are comfortable relative to the bullion price. And this, uh, again, this is the real price. It's deflated. So uh, history shows that when the real price goes up, it's favorable to mine, uh, mine operations, profitability. And then... Also, you can extend that to juniors because it enhances the valuation of a gold prospect. So it it gets everything. So now here here's another irony: is that some of the greatest bull markets in history for the gold sector have occurred in what we call the post bubble contractions, the 1930s, for example, Homestake. Uh, underperformed the S&P in 1928-29, and then it went down because the boom and everything uh, put their costs up. Homestakes operation were fairly constant then, and their costs went up, and the bullion price was fixed at $20.67 an ounce. And then uh, I think the low with the crash for Homestake was 8 and an eighth takes you back, doesn't it? Dealing with eights and sixteenths. Anyhow, the nub of the story is that you could have bought Homestake for around $9 in 1930-31. And then we want to take it to the end of 1932 because it was in March 1933 when Roosevelt started fooling around with the gold price and eventually moved it up to $35. But so at the end of 1932, the price of gold was still twenty sixty seven an ounce. But the real price had gone up, and the home stake stock was up about 130% to the end of 1932, and you know how badly beat up the S&P was in that year. And then, uh, and its earnings were up around 130% uh, with no change in the price of gold. So this shows that you keep, you keep track of the real price, and it tells you what's going on. So one of the other things that you get with a um, post bubble contraction is the cop price the real price of copper goes down 
The gold-silver ratio goes up, which it's doing because gold outperforms silver. And then gold's real price turns up. It, this is plotted, of course, monthly against the U.S. CPI. And it has yet to turn up. So the study I did the other day, I got the idea, oh, why don't we look at gold divided by commodities? And uh, and get it daily. Uh, so we use the CRB. And on three different measures, the gold b- divided by commodities index is extremely oversold. So we've got it on our downside capitulation. Uh, we've got it on just the weekly RSI being very oversold. And then we have another tool here that, now those two are, of course, obviously momentum. But we have another tool here that's uh, based on pattern, and it is on the gold divided by commodities index giving a sequential buy. So we've got momentum and pattern says that this is a very important bottom. And the problem is uh, you're not sure how long it may take to put the bottom in. Now, this week, the gold divided by commodity index uh, recovered checked back, and then made another recovery high. And no big deal. This is just over a week or so, two weeks, I guess. But it's attempting to rally. So the next step is that, uh, and we've had some massive failures in commodities. Uh, copper, base metals have been weak lately. The most interesting one was, uh, I guess, a week and a half ago, when cotton, which is a huge, huge contract around the world, it fell 30% in one day. It was so fascinating, Bill, that I we did a one-pager on it and put in, this was after the crash, of course, and the uh, end of May uh, headline from on, on cotton was that the prices looked good because there was a, a threat to, to the crop to the harvest in India. And then a week later, bang, 30% down in one day. So then I gathered some headlines on that one after the event, and it was that suddenly, suddenly nobody wants any cotton, uh, yarn or threads or whatever. So it's this all of a sudden no bid kind of thing. So here's what our best outlook is, is that gold this gold divided by commodities has bottomed and also in the work I did, it has a tendency to lead the gold and it leads the gold stocks, but it's variable. Like, you know, in one instant it was two weeks, another it was three months. So it's, you don't want to list those, but you just say that it's, it leads. So somewhere over the next few months, the two magic things will happen to prompt a new bull market for gold. One is the gold divided by CRB continuing to go up. And then uh, when you finally get the month, the monthly figure for the CPI, then the real price will go up. And uh, the, uh, now the risk to the stock market, to gold stocks, the ones that are still up is that they may get sucked into the downdraft as the uh, New York Stock Exchange takes another serious leg down. Now, we know that the first half was one of the worst in decades, but then you also have to face the fact that traditionally, um, great financial disasters have been discovered in the fall. So they're saying, but 
intuitively, Bill, the, the, the juniors, the small caps, there's some outstanding companies there. They're run by geologists, and, and it's been going on for decades where you've had very competent geologists getting together with competent management and raising money and uh, putting it into the field where, say, 60 years ago, uh, Mal Placer was one of the outstanding one for Greenfield's work. I mean, they, they had an exploration team that was outstanding. And they were also very good at doing a deal with a major so or the junior. So, you know, the outlook is there. So what, what our advice is, and I'm putting together a list now of small cap, both exploration bets and sort of like oversold uh, pre-production things or things that are into production that are interesting. We're putting that list together. And uh, with our subscribers, uh, many of whom are institutions, of course, there's no placing power for a list of stocks that I would put together. I'm doing it just because I really like the sector. But in 19, at the end of 1995, we did one of these and, and picked five exploration stocks and just said, hey, we're covering this because I like the field. And uh, I can't remember the names of the other, but one stands out, and that was that Air Kuipa with the McLeod uh, fa- father and daughter. And, uh, oh, it was taken over by Barrick for $1.1 billion. So you just need to have one of those and, let's say, a list of 10 and uh, but even then, I think the stocks we're putting together, uh, they will respond well in a bull market. And here is uh, anybody in the uh, in the expiration stocks, by, by way of management, for example. Um, it's it, it's been a hell of a shocking hit. But I think it was a liquidity crisis where all of a sudden. All the participants had to raise money right now. So what it's done is you've got an absolutely crapped out market, but you also have websites, market letter writers, uh, guys who do uh, marketing for stuff, such stocks and everything else. Everybody's on the wrong side of the of the eight ball on this thing. So uh, it's, it, it's just going to have to recover on its own bootstraps. But for those who have some room, it's an ideal time to uh, be accumulating some of these stocks. Uh, one doesn't have to rush in because I think there's a few hazards before the whole thing turns and heads up. But where we've seen uh, a company that I didn't go to board because it was going straight up at $2 in 2017, but I noticed it, and that was still a poor market for golds, and it had gone from something like 80 cents in the spring, and I saw it going straight up at $2, and I was impressed. And then it got into the 8th uh, that September, and uh, that's probably got a, a, an ore deposit. And normally on these things, on expiration stocks, they, they, it's the drilling play that drives it, and, it, and you get fabulous gains. And then the street says, hey, it's a mine. <laughs> now, that's the time when expiration people sell, because it goes into production, which takes, with luck, it goes into production, which takes a number of years. And I've found that going on a number of exploration plays I've known about back to the late 50s, 
the decline is usually to one-third or a quarter of the high, builds a base as construction goes on, and then with startup and successful numbers, then the stock will go up, but it's a different set of shareholders. So so this is where uh, this stock, which should have come down to, say, $3 and build a base there pending further developments and financing and stuff like that, Instead, it sells off to 50 cents. I couldn't believe it. So uh, this is where, uh, an indicator of just how devastated the junior exploration sector is. But now, going the other way, if one has a, a new deal, a new company, um, just beginning to get financed or something like that, you've got both prospects uh, of, uh, of, of, you've got two things ahead of you the prospects of good results from the field, which would drive the stock. And the other is if you're in a lengthy bull market for gold and gold sector. And this is what happens. The, the next bull market for gold is what it underway. It can last for three, two or three years. Then maybe a business cycle correction. But the previous post-bubble contractions have lasted, Bill, for 20, some 20 years when you've had lengthy bull markets. So... Let's close this out with a, a wrap on Homestake, which I said you could buy it at $9, say 90 30 31 And then it got up to $65 in the mid-1930s. And it was, now in those days, gold miners paid everything out by way of dividend. And it was paying $4.5 per share dividend each year on a $9 purchase. But this time around, the uh, gold uh, juniors, middle-sized gold miners will all be trying to build assets, and there won't be any dividending out of all of the revenue. So this is where you're going to end up with growth stocks. So you could have stocks being financed, uh, say, in here over the next few months at at less than a dollar, and these things could readily go to, you know, in a couple of years, and you can keep, sometimes you can keep a drill play going for maybe a year or so. Uh, I think some of these things go to $20. And then also, Bill, I can remember if you did a deal with Placer um, back in the 70s or 80s, say, and stocks are higher priced than smaller cap, uh, smaller issues outstanding. So anyways, you did a deal with Placer at $3, or you had your stock trading at $3, and did a deal with Placer, <laughs> they went to 25. That's all there was to it. How do I know? I was there. <laughs> so you're ready to load up on junior mining stocks. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, junior mining stocks, when I took my degree, I had summer jobs in British Columbia and in the Northwest Territories working as a student geologist for junior mining companies. And then when I graduated, I worked that full winter underground at a, at a, a, a developed pre-production. Yeah, well, it was, no, it was exploration underground work on a property in the middle of Vancouver Island, and I made some money on the stock. And I said, hey, why am I working in the bush when you can make money in the stock? So that's when I went into the investment business, and I'm still in it. But, and I'm still very partial to exploration stocks. The junior golds, I think the next innings are going to be outstanding. Thank you, Bob, for this updated uh, view on the markets. Your website is chartsandmarkets.com. Remind listeners what they can find there. Yeah, it, uh, history, we put in articles. And we publish, I publish weekly 
Thursdays, uh, usually four or five pieces covering all most aspects of the financial markets. And my colleague Ross is a is an outstanding technician, so those come uh, on opportunity. So it's good coverage, and uh, then every once in a while I'll crank off an essay on something or other, you know, important to the markets, like the one we did uh, last week on this gold divide, uh, gold divided by commodities thing. I think it's quite an important step. So, and then also another way to get at it is just my name, B O B H O Y E. Uh, and then there's all kinds of articles and references and everything comes up. So charts and markets are, are just straight Bob Hoyt. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on today's show, Bob. Well, I'm glad we got together and look forward to another chance. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.